On? Am I on? Now I'm on. Thanks, Clark. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matt, and uh, I like this. It scatters now. This is good. Uh, and uh, I am uh, one of the pastors here. Uh, I, I really like comedians. Not all comedians, but I do really like comedians. And a few years ago, I heard a comedian. I actually can't remember exactly who it was, but it's, I mean, we're talking maybe 18 years ago. But this one like line, if you will, stuck with me. And he asked the question, he says, do you know the difference between a friend and a real friend? And we said is, well, a friend is someone who will help you move. And a real friend is someone who will help you move a body. Now, I know you're thinking, is that a church joke? I mean, it sounds more like a mob joke. Um, I've, I don't know why that's stuck with me. And, and obviously, there's uh, some obvious things wrong, um, which I can acknowledge that with that idea, uh, particularly with the, uh, you know, the dead body piece and all. Um, but uh, when we're talking about living in community, there, there's also something uh, very, very, some very right things about with that idea, that, that joke, what makes me laugh and then think. Uh, namely, the idea that real things, the willingness for, for real things to be fully engaged, even sacrificed for, and maybe even served to or cared for in another. But uh, if I'm really honest, I don't know that I would describe that as the current context or where we find ourselves, where we're at currently. Um, uh, the way I, I feel like we describe where we are societally and even maybe personally is what I call like the, the one heel back. Like I, I feel like, it I seems like as I talk to people, interact with people, whether it's here or, or outside or, or friends or neighbors, that everyone has kind of like this, uh, by and large, kind of like a heel back. So a certain sense of like self-protectiveness, of, of, of unsurety. We're not exactly sure. And so we're just kind of taking a step a little bit back and... Not exactly sure if we're willing to, to really enter in. There's a, there's a sense of maybe a hyper focus on, on not extending ourselves, right? Like we all had to pull in, and so now we just be careful we don't extend ourselves in ways that we, that we shouldn't, so we're more guarded, operating maybe out of a bit more scarcity than abundance. As I said, we have our heel back, and with, with that kind of heel back relating in particular, it has that sense of, well, I got one foot in, and then I got one foot that can pivot, and then I'm out. Does that feel close to some of what you guys have experienced? Some of maybe how you feel or what you sense is kind of the operating system going on in the people around you or even in your own soul? This week, um, Ivy um, is on the preaching team, and she made a statement and it just like, it like shocked me. I wrote it on the board. She says, um, this season, these past couple of years is, she said, it's the most single I've ever felt. I just, that hit me. I was like, man, that, that's a telling reality. We're all rocked back a little bit. And the invitation of the scriptures, what I believe the invitation of God is, is to be a counter culture of self-offering community in Jesus. That's the vision that God has. So we're in this series as we've kicked off this year back in September talking about becoming the kind of people who, 
who know their calling, who, who are living out their calling. And, and in particular, that calling is lived out best, most effectively, most, in a most lively, true, and, and transformative way when we do so in community. And so we're spending these weeks talking about what does it look like to be a part of a transformational community? a committed community of people. And so we spent week one talking about the Trinity, right? About the fact that there is a relationship, there is a community at the center of the universe and that we get to, through the Trinity, have impact on one another in ways that are transformative. And then last week we talked about being a community of light where we confess our sins to one another in a way that is transformative and leads us out of darkness and into Light. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on what does it mean to be a community of, of care? What does it mean to be a community of care? Now, all that we've been talking about and everything we would ever talk about under the, under the umbrella, if you will, of community falls under the auspices of what we would call the love one another, right? Eleven times in the scriptures, we hear the words love one another. It's a, not a suggestion. It's an invitation by Christ three times, by the Apostle Paul mostly, to be a different kind of culture and community, to love one another. And that takes on a whole lot of different forms, what we call the one another's in the scripture. And some of what we're talking about this morning is just that. I'm getting a little bit of a feedback echo. So this morning we're going to look at this under three headings. First is, um, what does it mean to be a culture of care and service? What, what does that mean? What does that really look like biblically? And then secondly, we're going to look at what, what prevents us from, from being this counterculture community of Jesus, where we care and serve one another. And lastly, how do we become? How do we become? How do we grow even more into, into this community of, of care? So first, what does it mean to be in a community of care, to, to have a community of care and service. Well, we're going to look at a series of different scriptural passages that kind of break down some of, there's more, but some of what it means to serve and to care for one another. First, we have in Galatians 6, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ, the law of grace, the law that is the gospel, the law of love. We bear one another's burdens. What does it mean for us to be a community that cares? We, we carry with each other. This is a call to shoulder up under the burdens of those that we're committed to and connected into. It's frankly, the picture is the opposite, if you will, of what the priests and the Levi do when they come upon the good Samaritan, right? They don't just have a step back, they pivot and they go, they leave, they see, but they turn away and walk. What it means to carry each other's burdens is not to be afraid of the emotional messiness that, well, is the burdens showing up. They do bring they do bring burdens. Emotional realities are challenging. It means picking up. It means picking up. This is the best way of thinking about it for me. That, that bearing one another's burdens is picking up a portion of the load. Now, just maybe protect some of you people. It's not picking up the whole load. But it's picking up the portion of the load. I, I think one of the best imagers we have is of the, the, the four guys carrying the paraplegic to Jesus. It's, it's, it's not carrying the paraplegic on your back. It's being one of the four guys or girls that carries the paraplegic to Jesus. To Jesus, okay? That's what it means to bear one another's burdens. And sometimes it's, you know, it's relational. Sometimes it's, it's financial. Sometimes it's 
Sometimes it's um, emotional. Sometimes it's physical. I think about a time we had a, we were part of a community group, a committed community of people to one another, and a single mom in the group, like her dishwasher went out, and she just didn't have the cash. And so she's just kind of sharing the reality of that without any particular expectation. And within, I mean, we're in there, we're like, well, how much is a, a dishwasher? It's like, okay, well, I can give this, I can do this. And next thing you know, we have a dishwasher for her. So it's just saying, hey, there's a, there's a burden. It's not picking her up and saying, hey, we're going to fix all the things that are broken in your house and make sure that you have no more pain in your life and that you're not struggling with the divorce you walked through. No, no, no. It's not carrying all those things. It's saying, here's a way in which we can move towards one another. Sometimes it's just being present. We far, far underestimate the power of burden lifting by just being there. Uh, Becky's mom passed away on October 26th of this past year, and uh, it was unexpected. Uh, we'd gotten a call that she had fallen down, so Becky was driving over there, and I was following her behind about five minutes late behind, and we found out she, she, had, she, had, she had basically died instantly and fallen to the ground. And so we're in there, we're talking to the paramedics and, and uh, you know, just reeling from the suddenness of all that. And, and we find ourselves coming out into the parking lot and three different groups of people that we just sent a text to and just said, hey, I just want you to know this is what's going on, just, just showed up in the parking lot. And actually, ironically, they're from three different contexts. One of them is really close to me, someone else is a former neighbor of ours that Becky's really close to, and someone else. And they just, they just showed up. And they just stood with us, and they, they gave us a hug, and there was nothing to do. They couldn't make the sorrow disappear. They couldn't take the shock off of us. They were just there. And you know what? In that moment, and, and for that day, and as we reflected on how God met us over those days, and Becky in particular, it was a lifting of the burden of sorrow. And for those of you who've mourned before, you know what that's like, as, as people come alongside and, and enter into the moment and are present. We can, learn, we can learn a lot from Eastern cultures about what it means to be present with people. We carry one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. And so we fulfill the law of Christ. Secondly, uh, we see in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, again, to a totally different group of people, says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. First Thessalonians is a super positive letter. Basically, this is the Apostle Paul talking to, if, you know, all the other letters, he used to kind of take people on. First Thessalonians, he's like, y'all are awesome. Also, this is great. Keep doing this. And this is awesome. And keep doing this. It's just this really positive letter. So if you're feeling like, hey, you know what? First Corinthians was a bit rough. Just go to the Thessalonians and get a little bit of a boost. As you are doing, do it more. But what is he telling them to do more of? What is he inviting them into? He's inviting them to encourage, which I think is like, it's like a, a word that's been neutered. You know, it feels like this, like, I don't know, it's super encouraging. You know, it just doesn't have any like, ah, do it anymore. But it really means to give courage, right? It's, it's as though I'm coming and I'm actually imparting courage into you because you lack it. It's not present. You, you don't, whether it's through uncertainty or fear or, or confusion or maybe just darkness, you're just not sure and you, and you need courage to move towards God, to move into the circumstances that he's inviting you into. And so you need something spoken to you. You need to be reminded of what is true. And that's what it's talking about. This, it's the, the build one another up is basically like, yeah, think of it. Let me build you up. Like you're, like you're a structure and you're like, and it's like, I'm here. I'm going to speak some things that are going to put some of this back together for what is true. Because your heart is longing for it. Loved ones, we get to be people who speak courage into people and build one another up. Uh, just about a couple months ago, I was, 
um, on a walk with, uh, with a friend of mine, Dave Mayer, who goes here, I've known Dave for forever, I don't know, 14 years, 15 years, something like that, 16, 18, I don't know, many years. Um, and uh, Dave Mayer's the best person to go walk in the woods with, just FYI if you're wondering. Um, and uh, I was just talking through kind of the, the reality of what's going on, kind of the transition pieces that I've been working through. And, and, uh, and I said, you know, with like going to a new home and leaving the home we were in for 19 years and, and, and shifting after 20 years of ministry, I'm feeling all this. I said, I feel... Uh, um, I feel dislocated. It's the only word I kept saying. I feel, I just feel dislocated from myself and from life. And just, it's like, where's the, I can't have a hard time finding the ground. And he listened as Dave does well. And, and he said, man, I, I think what you're experiencing or you might be experiencing is, is that you're in a season of dismantling. Initially, I was like dismantling, like being taken apart. He's like, no, no, no. Like, dismantling, like there's a certain set of mantles, like, like being a dad to kids that are now grown and married and have kids of their own, like there's a certain mantle that I don't carry in that same way. And there's a certain mantle of leadership within the church that I'm not going to be carrying that I've done for a long time. And so it's like there's this dismantling time. And, and he just gave me this interest, this metaphor about what it would look like to actually trust God in that and to find rest in him in that. And it was and it became, as we kind of kicked off the new year, it became the thing that, like, that metaphor is the thing that I'm kind of holding on to, inviting God to make it true in me. I felt foggy. I felt confused. I felt a little afraid. I felt, and he, he spoke courage. He, he built me back up. He, like, took, you know, he took some spackling and, like, filled in the gaps and the cracks in it. And there's a robustness that's, that's, that's present and true. And we do so with curiosity, right? We ask, and then we listen, and then we ask some more, and then we listen some more, listening to the Spirit, and then we speak. We encourage one another. That's how we serve and care for one another in community. And thirdly, First uh, Peter 4 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, Peter, how do we do that? Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We're going to come back to that last verse in a minute. But Now, the invitation is to show hospitality. Show hospitality to one another. And I just love that Peter adds in, also without grumbling, in case you were wondering, like, how that's supposed to work out. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be like, oh, not them are coming over again. Like, wait, who's at the door? No, it's not that, right? It's, it's, it's show hospitality to one another. I, I preached a whole sermon on hospitality a couple of years ago. We can look it up on the archives. Um, archives, that's just a great way of thinking about sermons. Um, but... Just as, as a review of what this looks like for us in community, as we serve one another, hospitality is the invitation to be with. It's, it's inviting in. It's, it's being engaged, engaged with the lived reality of another person. It's the art, if you will, of letting people in the front door, both of our lives and really of our home, of our places. Hospitality is creating the kind of environment where people feel welcomed and wanted. Creating the kind of environment where people feel welcomed and wanted. Now, if there's a simple way of saying that you want to have like a significant amount of impact on someone, 
Let them know that they're welcomed and wanted. How terrible is it to go somewhere and feel ignored and people are indifferent or even rejected? It's terrible. You know why people leave churches, like the highest percentage? It's not because the pastor said something stupid from the front. I know you're thinking that's the thing, but that's not the thing. It's because they felt unwelcomed and unwanted. It might have been C.S. Lewis. Whenever you don't know who quote, and you quote, you just say C.S. Lewis and you're probably good. But, but he says, what is hell? Hell is, 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 is eternal rejection, right? It's I don't want you, and so as your will be done, right? Thou will be done. You, you now choose this. And some of us are living like a, a living hell of, of not feeling wanted and not believing and knowing that we're wanted and, and welcomed. Loved ones, one of the ways in which we ongoingly live a life of service and care to the people in our community, in our committed communities, is to be a place where they are welcomed and wanted, where we are welcomed and wanted by one another. It's one of the reasons why it's so great that many communities meet in homes, because you, you get to be inside each other's lives in a way that invites reality into reality. You can totally fake it here. You're going to be here, what, an hour and 30 minutes? You know you can fake it. I know you can fake it. I can fake it. But, but, but over time, in each other's homes, when we're seeing reality played out, we have an opportunity to live differently. Hospitality is the unselfish desire to meet the needs of others by bringing them into our lives and into our space. And, and lastly, uh, Clark alluded to this just a minute ago. We pray for and we pray over one another. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 16, we read this last week. Therefore, he says, confess your sins to one another, last week, and pray for one another. Now, obviously, this is within a certain context, right? He's talking about healing. He's talking about, but what's fascinating about this, he says, right, that you may be healed. But then it follows up. He says, the prayer of a, righteous por- of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And you know what follows right after that is this illustration of Elijah, and Elijah wasn't like confessing sins of people. He says, Elijah prayed and it didn't, it didn't rain for three and a half years. And by the way, and then Elijah prayed again and it started raining. That's basically saying, hey, listen, one of the things that we get to be for one another towards one another is people that pray for, that pray with in the midst of the difficulty of realities in order to bring, as you said, I love that, in order to bring, to bring heaven to earth. Imploring the Lord to bring heaven to earth. This is, this is the picture of what it means to pray intercess, intercessory prayers. It's churchy word, but it just means I'm praying on behalf of and for you. I'm taking your name and I'm bringing it before God in a way that has impact on the way that I actually love and see you. And we pray over one another. This is something that can be super uncomfortable if you've never done it or been a part of it. But when when someone prays, and again, this is one of the things I've always appreciated about Clark, and I think I've mentioned this before, but like when something's happening or something goes wrong, and we're like, oh, what are we going to do about this? Or, or we just hear bad news about something that happened to someone. Like immediately, Clark always goes like, let's pray. Let's go first there. Let, let's, let's bring that name to the Lord. Because you know what happens? This is, this is what God knows about us. Because we're not informing him, right? We're not informing God of what's going on. We know that, right? He actually knows. What are we doing? We're actually aligning our hearts to his heart in prayer. So let me just say 
Like, is there someone in your committed community, people that God's given you that you have a tough time with? Or they're just grading you? Or you, or you just disagree on some pretty fundamental things right now? Or are you finding yourself going like, I mostly don't like you, I'm supposed to love you, you know, that kind of thing? Like, this is, this is wild, but like, if you will begin praying for them, like, begin asking God on their behalf that God would, would bring the, the blessings of heaven down on earth to them. What happens as we pray for one another is that it reorients our heart towards seeing these people, this person, with the eyes of God. It's, it's, the, it's the invitation. I mean, like, you hear Paul talking about and praying for the churches. And some of these churches... At the beginning, he's always like, I'm praying for you constantly. And some of you is, I'm praying for you really constantly. You know, cause, but, it, but some of it is like because he, he, he loves them. And even though they've been unkind to him and talked trash about him behind his back and whatever, like he's orienting his heart to love them as he goes to go be with them. And that's, that's what we get invited into. And so one of the best ways that we can serve one another, that we care for one another, is by raising each other's names to the Father on their behalf. That's why it says we pray for our enemies. Guys, if we're supposed to pray for our enemies, we should probably pray for the people in our committed communities. It knits us together. It it bonds us together in the purposes of God. If you'll pray for others, you'll find yourself surprised by what happens to your heart, your willingness to sacrifice, to be generous with them. All right, so that's that's what it looks like. What what, what prevents us from being a counterculture community? of care and service. That's a lot of C's. Just suddenly saw that. Um, Well, first, and these are not always gonna be true about everybody, so, you know, um, if you're like, oh, I know who this applies to, maybe this is not the time to tell them or to bring it up afterwards, but um, what what is it that prevents us, both in general and maybe specifically? First, you know, we've developed a transactional view of what serving or caring community is supposed to do. We see community and the people in our communities as, in a sense, economic terms, right? Where there's, a, there's yields, there's a return on investment. It has, to, it has to work for me. Like if I put out A or B, if I put out you know, this much, like it should be some kind of a, a natural return. It shouldn't only be cost. I put in expecting to get something particularly out for myself. There, there are terms to the agreement. And loved ones, what's unfortunate about this, that's when our, where our heart is, is that God doesn't put terms on love, on what it means to love one another in these particular ways. When, Jesus, when, you know, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I forgive? Do you know what he's asking? He's asking for terms. And Jesus says a lot more than you can possibly imagine. Right, 70 times 7, a ridiculous amount of times. God doesn't allow us to put terms on it. And so even think about how we, we even talk about economically when we talk about what it looks like to engage with one another, right? We, we, our language, we spend time. I don't know if that I, have to, I can spend that much time helping. or I can't know if I can spend that time. I, it's it's going to potentially, we talk about the cost of a relationship or that's uh, going to cost probably more than I have to, to offer at this very moment. I think one of the things that seems more prevalent than it used to be, and again, I think this is you know, circumstantial in some of what's going on, but 
is that we have this clear sense of you can only cost me this much. There's only so much that I'm willing to let you cost me. And I I would say that our allowances, to keep our metaphor going, are, are, are shorter and smaller than ever. It's uh, this disposition is it's the older brother disposition, right? It's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I've been doing these things. Where's my goat? It's my turn. It's, it should be for me. And so community is really then just a utility. It's not, not a brotherhood and sisterhood of the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's a utility. Does it work for me? And, and loved ones, all I would say is this. That is the economy of the kingdom of this world, but not the economy of the kingdom of God. So that's one of the reasons, one of the ways in which that prevents us from, from being a counterculture and community of care and service. Second, and these kind of all go, these first three really go together, is that we've compartmentalized our lives. We see community, in a sense, as an accessory to our faith. Some of us are like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some faith things over here, but then I kind of got my real life that I have to handle. And like, there's just kind of these separate divides and like God's business is on certain quadrants. And, and so we have this compartmentalized sense and like, and community ends up just being like an app on your phone. You know, we just like, you pop it up, you open it up, like you use it for a minute for its purpose, you know, utility. And then you just, you know, cool, thanks. And then you shut it down, you log out. It's okay, check off, it's, 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 it's gone. And, and so, so it's not really an integrated picture and reality to our life where someone else's life is actually affecting me in, in tangible ways and, and my life is affecting them in tangible ways. Not something that you log out of. So we've developed transactional view, we've compartmentalized our lives and, and then fundamentally we've forgotten the most fundamental reality of life. And that is that everything we have is a gift. We, we've succumbed to my stuff is my stuff and that's my time and that's my money and that's my energy and that's my health. I get to choose it. I get to use it as I choose. Instead of choosing to see them, believing God that they are indeed the gift that they truly are. So let's just do a quick exercise because it's good for us to hear ourselves say this. All right, just repeat after me. Everything I have is a gift. Everything I have is a gift. Now think about that. Let that sink in a little bit. Everything I have, everything I have is a gift. Now, that affects far more than community, but it doesn't affect less than community. Listen to what First Peter says again in chapter 4. He says, as each has, what? Received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This verse is packed with all kinds of stuff. But let's just take it for a second. So, Everything you have is a gift. Everything I have is a gift. And, and Paul's saying, just, so, I'm sorry, Peter's saying, just, just so we're clear, you have this gift to serve one another. So everything, when you said everything and the few things that may came, come to mind, it it's, it's has the opportunity to be used to, 
to serve one another, he says, as, I love this, as good steward of God's many multiple or varied graces or grace. That God has given us grace in all of these things. That's why I feel like we could just repeat 50 times everything you have is a gift because like they're grace. So it's not my life is mine. It's my life is his. And by the way, this includes our, our freedoms, all the things that we would consider our, our, our freedoms, whether it's the freedom in family, the freedom of, of, freedom of speech, freedom, freedom of, of doing what we want with our time and energies. And listen, to, listen to Paul in Galatians 5. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Now, this, this freedom is, is all, it's broad in this, in this case. You're called to the freedom that comes from actually abiding in the gospel is what he's saying. But you were, you were called to freedom, brothers. This is the invitation. Only, just so we're clear, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. This is not an opportunity for you. The flesh is going to say, I take care of me, right? That's what the flesh says all the time. I take care of me. I got to take care of me because no one's going to take care of me but me. That's the voice of the flesh, right? That's what we're left with. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loved ones, God didn't, God didn't purchase your freedom to do as you pleased. Hear me. He, he didn't purchase your freedom to do as you pleased. He purchased your freedom so that you would do as he pleases. You, you know what's amazing? Is, is that within that freedom that pleases him is that which will ultimately please and fulfill us. Just this, just this past week, was that yesterday? It was yesterday. I found myself <laughs> having this conversation with God where I was like, I don't want to pray something. There's something I don't want to pray. There's something I'm like basically going like, I don't want to put this in front of you because I'm afraid that you're going to want something from me that I don't want to do. And by the way, I happen to know that if he tells me, I'm going to have to do it. And so it's like, if I don't ask. But fundamentally inside of that, it's what? Like, because, because I want this for me. And, and you know what? He's a taker. He's going to take it from me. No. No, he wants my good. And he wants my good to others, in others, for others. What else prevents us? Uh, well, we've been caring or serving or sacrificing where God hasn't called us. Now, this fits a certain category of people. And, and some of you, I know you, and I know it's you. So if you're smiling right now with that embarrassed kind of smile of like, you know, like I, I do too much, you know, and, and I end up finding myself kind of struggling with resentment of like, you can't possibly be asking me for one more thing. Are you kidding me? I can't give any more than one more thing. I'm just going to take us back to something that we talked about early in, earlier in the year when we were talking about spiritual gifts and all that, is that God empowers what he appoints which means that he does not empower what he has not appointed you to. And some of us 
have seen serving or, or sacrificing or, or caring for even people in our committed community, not by asking the Holy Spirit, remember Trinity, like we actually love and serve and engage through the Spirit, through, through the reality of the Trinity, not on our own. We're not engaging him in the process. We just see the need or, or hear the need, and it's uncomfortable, and so we need to move into it. We need, and it looks like no one else is going to. So I, I guess I'll, I'll do this one too. I'll step in here again. Sometimes, sometimes the obvious opportunity isn't for you. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are seeking to rescue, to restore, to heal, to care, to serve through people, and it doesn't always mean it's you. So if you find yourself, and of course, here are the flags, right? The flags are resentment, bitterness, the, the, that constant perpetual exhaustion. And you maybe not even hear this anymore, but people who love you around you do because, because you, you're basically always spent. And you have a list of all the things that are being required of you, including the things that you haven't even actually gotten to yet. And you're beating yourself up for that. And here's the thing. What did we just read? It is for freedom that you've been set free. That's not what freedom sounds like. That's not what free people sound like. Free people get to do stuff. Oh, it, it costs, no doubt about it. Loving one another, serving one another, caring for one another costs tremendously. There's no doubt about that. But it's in line with, it's by the Spirit. And lastly, and I would say this is, again, true of a certain cadre of folks. So maybe this is you. This is definitely something I struggle with. And that is, we're all, we're going to keep our economics metaphor, we're all supply and we're no demand. We don't live with the humility of our own true needs being available to a community of people to care for. No one gets to meet our needs. No one really gets to serve us. No one truly gets to care for us. We've, we've got it. If you're only comfortable giving and, and serving, but not willing to receive, then I would say you're not going to be able to engage in real and true community. I'd venture to say that you're probably not actually giving or serving anyway. And what comes with that, of course, is that this dynamic of, you know, like kind of a stale relationship, interaction with one another, this it's a sense of superiority, this, because pride leaks, right? And pride always end up, ends up coming out with a sense of like, I've, I've got this. I'm... And it's, it's, I just want to say, it, it's uncomfortable. And for some people, it's super uncomfortable. But because we've equated, we've equated needing to be cared for, needing to be served with failure, right? Because I don't know if you know this, it's in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves, you know? So that's not in the Bible. Okay, just, just, just clarify, not in the Bible. That's the most misquoted Bible verse in the world. Okay, God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those because he loves them because he's his good pleasure, but just so we're clear. So God does not help those who help themselves, okay? That's not how it works. That's not, that's not the true reality. But since that's what we believe, we find ourselves being in a place where if I offer or demonstrate need, well, then clearly I must be a failure because God would, you know, I need to be helping myself. It's uncomfortable and it's, it's difficult for some of us. 
As I mentioned, you know, Be Becky's mom passed on October 29th. We, we closed in our house on October, I'm sorry, October 26th. We closed in our house on October 29th. And because we lived at my parents and we had stuff in storage and we had stuff in my kids-in-law and then we had stuff at their old house. We, I mean, basically we had a, just a ton of need that happened in a very short amount of time. And let me just say, like, not a fan of being in need, like not a fan of having to ask a bunch of people for help. And and, and, and just the, the beautiful discomfort that it is for people to walk up and say, hey, I'm going to love you in this way. I want to help meet your need in this particular way. And so whether it was elders or staff team helping get things ready for a, for a funeral service here and, like, and just handling it. Like I didn't touch it. It just, it just happened. And it's not like we didn't have a bunch of other stuff going on. And I, I know I'm behind the scenes. I know how this plays itself out. And they, we had to do it for me. Man, I'm much better with someone else's funeral. And we're going to care for that family. Like I know my place. I like it there. People are having to move and it's like far. Like my, my mom and dad live like in coming which is basically North Carolina. I mean, it's just called things what they are, you know? And so like, people are having to drive up there, right? So it's like it's inconvenient. And, like, and then two days later, some pods come. And it's just, a, you know, there's emotional needs. And, and we, we're going we're to have to have the family come and do, do a, like a family, um, like a memorial service. And we're the only place that we can really do it, even though we just moved in. And so people are coming, like bringing food and cleaning our house for us. And it's like, I mean, it was wicked uncomfortable. It was so challenging. And it was beautiful. And again, as we've got to step back away from that, we got to look back and say, look, look how God loves us. Look how he meets us. Look how he rescued us. Look, look how he came through. Look how he showed up in unexpected ways and in, in anticipated ways. It felt real and true. Jesus serves and cares for us through one another. The Trinity serves and cares through one another. And it means we have to be the kind of people who understand that it's not an economic trade, but that it's, but it's genuinely something that we're invited to participate in for the good of another, from the resources, the very gifts that he has given to us. It means that we have to be the kind of people who are going to be that way too. Be awake and, and available and, and willing. So in closing, how, how do we become, how do we grow even more into be communities of care? How do we do this? Like, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I, just, I just did four. I just did four of what it means to serve and care for one another. You know, small things like carrying one another's burdens and encouraging one another. And it's just the, the weight. You know, it's so funny. Whenever I do this kind of thing, like, I can always feel the weight in the room. It's like, Wait, there's another point? Oh, now I have to pray for them too? You know, I mean, it's just like, it's like, oh my, it's just so heavy. That is, that, that is, that is the reality of the Christian life. Those are, I'm not mincing words. That's exactly what we're called and commanded to do. These are all commands, imperatives, like thou shalt, you must. So there it is. You got, the, there's the full weight of it. And then all this other stuff that prevents us from being able to do it is also true. And there's others. There's much a general sense of selfishness. So there's all these things that prevent us. The weight is heavy to begin with. How in the world are you and I going to be the kind of people who choose this as a way of life, not as something we do on a weekend? Well, two things. There's two options. There's two options for how we're going to overcome these external hurdles, these of culture, these internal barriers of our flesh, and still live up to the high bar that is true in the scriptures for the people of God and the kingdom of God. So you have two options this morning, right now. 
You hear all these things and you do one of two things. You can muscle up, you can buck up, right? You can suck it up and you're, gonna, you're just gonna push through. And doggone it, you've got a lot of willpower. And so you can probably push for quite a while. You can be like, that's good. I'm gonna take on prayer and some burden stuff. And then like, I'm gonna say a couple encouraging. I think I can do that. I think I got that. I think I can put those in my pocket, walk out and do some of that this week. But that's not it. That's not going to work, first of all, not for any real period of time. Or, or you can listen and you can remember. This is the pathway of the gospel. We listen and then we remember. Uh, one of the things that emerged, what do I mean by we listen? One of the things that came out in our conversation about this in preaching team was, is there a wrong way to serve? It's just a fantastic question. Is there a wrong way to serve? Is there, is there a wrong way to serve? Is there? And the answer is yes. Eww. I don't feel good. There's a wrong way to serve. Maybe you're doing it. <laughs> so what's the wrong way to serve? The wrong way to serve is finding ourselves not listening, not following, not keeping in step with the Spirit, but seeking to do what we think needs to be done, should be done for and, and in and to people. You see, serving one another in community is just like every aspect of our, of our Christian life, of our faith. It can't be divorced from the Spirit's voice and from the Spirit's power and from his purpose. It can't be. It says in 1 Corinthians, right, that, God, that, the God, that the Spirit knows, only the Spirit knows the mind of God. So, like, Matt Jones, am I supposed to serve you? I don't know. But you know who knows? Like the Spirit of God knows because maybe I'm actually supposed to serve Jennifer. I mean, that's, maybe that's actually what God's inviting me into. But, but if I'm not listening to him, I'm just going to go willy-nilly based on what's going to work for me conveniently, right? Because some of us are like, oh, just give me the convenient thing. That's got to be what God's calling me to because he wouldn't ask much of me, right? And some of us are like, it's got to be the hardest thing. What's the hardest thing? Who's, who needs the most? Who's the most broken person in the room? That's clearly what God's calling me into. But is it? We must listen to him. He knows the mind of the Father, and he offers the power of the Trinity. You see, I, I, way back in 2019, when we kicked off our six-year thing, we began with being the kind of people who hear and respond, right? Like the reason that's the foundational dynamic of what it means to be a disciple is that if you're not hearing, then what in the world are you responding to? If you're not listening to him through the scriptures, through your community, and through your own spirit, like if you're not listening to him and being confirmed, then, then how, what are you doing? Are you serving? Because you might not be serving, and you might be busting your butt doing a lot of stuff, and you're not serving and loving at all. You're just serving you. But the spirit will tell you, and he invites you into that. We must be people who listen. And secondly, we've got to be people who remember. Call the serve and to care drives us to Jesus. That's what, that's what it should do. I mean, that, that would be the reality, right? If, if, I mean, if I see Dan and I hear that Dan is like just overrun with life, he's just destroyed by all that's going on in his family or things are going on at work and it's like, whoa, that's too big for me. Can't. The, the invitation of seeing and experiencing something that's beyond us, is, it, it causes us to run to Jesus for them in them. If the Spirit of God is saying, hey, Matt, you know what? Like, 
I appoint Dan to you. You know, like, oh, okay, Lord, here we go. Are you sure? But here we go. You know, Dan, sorry. Um, that's, it pushes us, it drives us to Jesus. And we see the reality that our resources are going to be exceeded far beyond. It invites us to him. And what does it invite us to remember? You might just remember that it's only because of Jesus bore the, the burden, the full serving of us by bearing the burden for the demands and judgment of the law for us. That he's the one who says, cast all your anxiety, all your cares, all your weight, cast them on me. Because I care for you. He, he's the one who, he's the only one who's saying, listen, I just, just want you to know, like, like lean on me because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I, I'm, the, I'm the burden carrier. I'm the load bearer. I'm the ultimate encourager. I'm the one who, who's interceding with the Father for the things that are being prayed. I'm the one, and I've got you. And the way you know I've got you is I paid the ultimate price for you. You look to the cross, and you remember, well, if that's true, and if that's true for me, and that the burden is actually on him, the pressure is on him, well, then here we go, Lord. Sure, I'll step into that. Sure, I'll give that. Sure, I'll sacrifice this. Sure, I'll enter that. Sure, I'll care. Sure, I'll serve. I'll get into the uncomfortable. I'll, I'll bring people into the reality of my own need because you have me. And you've shown me here. And it's undeniable. And Jesus... Mark chapter 10 looks at his disciples and he says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me be clear, Jesus serves in other ways right now that are not just the way in which he gave his life as a ransom for many. But it is the mark that we come back to that makes all the other things clear and true. That's why we always come back here every week. And loved ones, to the degree in which you've received that, to the degree in which you're like, you know there is one who serves you and cares for you. There's one who will receive you. Well, to that degree, you'll be able to walk in and step into the reality of that in other people. You'll also be able to see the way in which God has served you and met you through other people and find yourself going like, he'll take care of me. Things may, may crumble. Things may get difficult. But, but you know what? Like, I, I've seen his faithfulness. And so I get to remember that. Loved ones, let's be people who remember. And this is the meal of remembrance. And so as you come forward in a minute here, I just, I just want to invite you to, to allow God to, one, to say, hey, this is the way I serve you, and I've ultimately served you, but, but also just an invitation as you go back to your seat, maybe take a minute before you, before you take the, the juice and the, and the, and the, and the bread and, and just ask the Lord to, to bring to mind the ways in which he has indeed served and cared for you and the ways in which he's done so through community, through people, that we would be people who would go out and live here in that way to the praise of God and his kingdom, which is on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, my, to be these kinds of people is, is both this daunting reality and then this beautiful thing. The, the, the picture of us being free to move, to, to trust, to, to be a part of the serving and caring for the people you've given us is just a, well, it's an amazing thing. And Lord, we want, we want to enter with you, to participate with the Trinity in doing just that. And so, Lord, would you, would you make our ears attentive? 
just like we need your help to worship, we, we need your help to even know how to move in this way towards one another. And so, Lord, would you, would you make it possible and true through your grace and allow these elements to refresh and call our souls to you. You're our true home. Like you are home and we are at peace with you. And so we receive your grace through your spirit in these elements. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, if you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. He has served you in it, so come and welcome to Jesus.